Hello everyone, this is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show and boy, are you in for a show today. Before I get to introducing today's guest, which I you're gonna be extremely impressed because I was definitely extremely impressed. I have to call it something very special. See, today, today is January 5th, 2022. Now you've noticed I don't normally point out dates, um, but this is a very important special date. See, today is literally one year that this podcast has been up and running and serving leaders all across the world. And I am just so happy that all of you have come on this journey with me. And so I just want to say thank you so much for everyone who's been listening, everyone who's been sharing, everyone who's been doing exactly what I'm talking about all the time, right? Don't just look back, reach back. All of you, thank you so much. I have to give a huge, huge thank you to all of the guests that came on and shared their knowledge, their inspirations, their motivations with all of us to help us reach our career goals. So thank you. Now, let's get to today's guest. Today's guest is Lisa Gable. See, Lisa Gable is not only a former U.S. ambassador. No, 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 no. No, she's not only the author of a best-selling book called The Turnaround. No, no, we're not going to stop there. In addition to everything else I've just mentioned and so many more things, she is also the CEO of FAIR, which is the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization, which is the world's largest nonprofit organization dedicated to food and allergy awareness, education, research, and advocacy. Not only is she all those things, man, she is so much fun. See, as you all know, this podcast is specifically created, specifically to create it to help leaders at all levels, whether you're a new and entry level leader or you're an executive leader, we're here to help you move into that higher, more influential level of leadership. And that's what we're here for. And because we're starting off this year, we got to start it off right, where Lisa is going to do a phenomenal job sharing her ideas and strategies on, on how to not only be successful as a leader, but how to also have the energy to remain focused and driven and do really good work even when you got a million things coming at you. Can I get an amen from someone? Look, this is going to be an awesome show today, and I can't wait to get to this interview. But before we get started, as always, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Find me on alextremble.com. I'd love to come and speak at your next workshop, your next conference, and I'd love to find a way to work with your teams to help your leaders elevate to that next level. But without any further ado, Here's today's guest, Lisa Gable. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from The Alex Trimble Show. And today, today I have a, hopefully again, another new friend, Lisa Gable. How are you doing, madam? I am doing great. And thanks so much for having me today. Well, no, look, honestly, thank you so much for joining. Um, you know, the way you and I met and how I came across you was, you know, looking through LinkedIn, I started seeing your posts and about your book and I started reading into your background 
and you're amazing. So thank you so much for being here with us. Well, you're very kind to say so, but I have to tell you, I also just appreciate your positivity and all of the positive reinforcement that you give to people on LinkedIn at this time. That's so important. So we can have a, a mutual admiration society. Well, well, again, I will take it. I will take it. Um, and, you know, I, I sound like I have a lot of energy right now. And, and honestly, it's probably because I'm speaking to you. But if you were to ask me how I feel right now, physically, I feel tired. I feel really, okay. really tired. And I just have, I have a lot of stuff going on recently. And, you know, with my, 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 my writing, my speaking, the podcast, the trainings. And it made me think of, a, um, of an instance I talked to with my mentor a few years back. I said, I said, sir, I feel so tired. I'm like, why am I always tired? He said, well, Alex, because every time you take on a new initiative, you're, you're creating something, you're fixing something. As soon as it's fixed, you go to the next thing. You never have a break. Like, well, well, maybe I should just be, maybe I should just go somewhere and sit down and chill out and do something average. Like, That's not your personality. You're going to want to be out there. And as I look at you, as I look at you, you know, you were a, C, a senior vice president at Pepsi, you were a U.S. ambassador, a delegate um, on the boards of American, uh, the Girls and Boys Club, the, uh, oh, the Girl Scouts of the United States, you're an author. How do you and where do you find the energy to do all these things and do all these things well? Well, you know, it, I agree with you. We're the types of people when we do a turnaround, and I wrote about this recently, I'm all in. And I am running up that hill and I'm hyper engaged. And um, I'm not only in from a professional sense, <clears throat> but when I agree to do a turnaround, I, I really put my heart and soul into it because I want to fix that thing. Everything that I've ever been involved with has been very, very important to a CEO, a billionaire, a president of the United States, a governor. Usually when people come to me is when they're sort of at that point of trying to decide if this thing they really wanted to have work uh, needed to, to be shut down, was it just not going to happen, or could they do one more run up the hill? So by the time they get to me, things are pretty broken. And because of that individual's commitment, I feel compelled to help them realize their dream. And in all the cases of what I've been involved with, starting with Craig Barrett, who's the CEO and chairman of the board of Intel, he had a passionate, heartfelt belief that we needed to improve math and science education in the United States. And, and he was so frustrated by so many different things that he was involved with. He put so much of his time and his effort into it. And yet he wasn't being able to see the results or any tangible benefits that would bring personnel into Intel someday. And since that point in time, I've had the opportunity to talk to different philanthropists who, who really have something that they are, they are just convinced needs to happen in order for the world to be a better place. And when you have that relationship, you want to be all in. You want to make things work. So I drive and get my energy because of the belief that they have in whatever it is that I'm working on. I, I hear you again. I, I, I can feel right now that I'm having energy through you and, and, and your passion. Do, do you ever feel like, you know, we were just talking earlier about how, I mean, you spoke about how this challenging this time has been with you know, COVID and all the crises going on. I mean, do you have to find actual ways to 
to manage your energy, manage your time. So you have the, the, the wherewithal to dive into these projects with the passion that you do. Anybody has to, I mean, people need breaks between things. And so what I'm trying to force myself to do, I'm retiring in the spring, but already I'm talking to people about different things that I want to be engaged Mm -hmm. in is forcing (laughs) that break. And I have through the years, I didn't used to do it, but over the last 15 years, I have put those breaks into place. And whether it is, you know, going and sitting on the beach and reading a book for two weeks. Uh, when I was younger, my sister and I would jump on an airplane. There were so many cheap flights back then and just go to a foreign country and, and you know, literally separate ourselves from whatever it was that we had just done a turnaround with. You need to build that in. Everybody does. For me, there's that physical element of it. When I was writing Writing my book, uh, because of COVID, I, I swam. What I did is I swam 50 laps every day. And that, you know, I bike. I do things that allow me to let my brain sort of flow free. My brain is never turned off. And it sounds like yours isn't either. Yeah. And what I tell people is the one thing I can't control is three o'clock in the morning. I am the worst. Even this morning, 5.45, I woke up and I was like, I have got to get what's in my head down on a piece of paper. That is the bad thing about being me. So, so I can be tired sometimes. Um, but at the same point, I try to force myself into reading something that has nothing to do with work. You know, people used to always ask, you know, in these interviews, well, what's the latest book that you read? And you feel compelled to say that it was Winston Churchill or something, <laughs> you know, about Napoleon. But the reality is, it is David Baldacci and John Grisham. You know, I just go and find that book that's incredibly well written. And I, I get myself separated mentally and absorbed into whatever the story is. And by freeing my brain up, that's what allows me to re-energize. The other thing I should say, though, is, is you do grow weary. I think one of the things that we've all experienced during the past 22 months is we're weary. There's nobody who isn't weary. It's just hard. It's just not easy. I did two back-to-back business trips, one to Texas and one to California, you know, putting your mask off and on, leaving it on through the airplane, having to do with flight delays. There is that wearying element. But at the same time, I do get energized when I'm talking to people about new ideas. And, and so the that's when I have that, that flow of excitement and that energy to help problem solve. One thing I do is I mentor a lot of young people and um, a lot of women. And so when I'm helping them solve a problem, that actually gives me energy. Yeah. Well, <sighs> I really love and appreciate your answer. And, and you mentioned something that I've honestly been struggling with. So I'm going to go off script just a little bit. Um, so I also, in addition to my speaking in the podcast and all things like that in my books, I also serve as the chief culture officer um, for a national nonprofit organization. And um, again, in trying to make a culture shift, with, shift within the organization, there's a lot of change. And obviously when there's a lot of change, there are a lot of people who cannot be happy with that change. And I have found myself recently really stressed out to the point where I, I'm not sleeping because I'm waking up at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and thinking through issues, how to solve this, how to, how to convince this person, so on and so forth. And I, I know it's a part of the, I guess, the game sometimes, but I'm, I guess I'm a little worried myself because if I'm only at this national nonprofit level and I want to be one day, I want to be like you, I want to be these, you know, serving as an ambassador, I want to be doing these big things. 
like, what do you think I should do or anyone who's challenging you know, that situation right now? Like, how, how should we manage and turn off our minds so we're not doing all this rumination all the time, I guess? You know, the, the thing with our phones is it really has been the worst thing that's happened to us. I, uh, you know, I'm old enough and I started my business career in Silicon Valley. And I remember when we got these things called Ricochet and Ricochet were these phone-like devices you could connect to your computer anywhere. And I was a working mom. And so I'd go with my computer to the playground. My daughter would be playing on the swing set and I would actually be able, and this was in the early nineties, be able to download onto my computer. That was so cool. Nobody could do that then. I guess it was the late 90s. But, you know, that constant connection is, I truly believe, the hardest thing for us to stop. And, and it is difficult dealing with people. You want, you're a kind person. You're someone who believes in a positive culture and life isn't always positive. And you may want to always be as open and transparent as possible. But the reality is every action that we take impacts a person. And lately we have all had to zigzag and constantly make changes because the economy is not in the best of place and it is impacting not-for-profits and it's impacting all businesses. Businesses. And so it is one reason why I like to bike. One thing about biking is you can't check your telephone. One thing about swimming <laughs> laps is you can't check your telephone. And I make myself keep swimming. And, and I, I have to have that physical separation because the temptation to pick it up is, is so yeah. You know, it's so challenging to avoid. Even this morning, as I was getting ready for the show, I had an emergency phone call. I'm like blow drying my hair, talking on the phone about a TV interview <laughs> on Monday. It's like I really need. I've only got a half an hour to get my makeup right. Um, we're human beings, and we like people. Um, and right now, it is tough. And I think that one experience I had recently and that I would really encourage people to do is I was part of a CEO offsite with a group of, of about 20 other CEOs for, for two days. And I, you know, when I walked into it, I thought, oh, this is a little bit of hooey, especially the way that they described it. But having an opportunity to talk to my peers off the record about my own questions or th my pain points. They designed the day, the two days so that you were with a group of peers for a set period of time and you were asked to bring your pain point to each meeting. You identified three pain points that you wanted to address through this relationship. Having that open conversation with people who are going through the exact same thing that you are going through is truly re-energizing. One, it makes you feel that you're not alone. Two, it helps remind you that uh, that you have people you can reach out to. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay not to be perfect. And three, it gives you a reaffirmation or an affirmation of the decisions that you're making. You know, I walked through and I said, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. What am I missing? People yeah. aren't happy. And the group sat there and they go, you're not missing anything. There's, there's nothing you can do. And actually having a group of your peers tell you that you respect, that there's nothing more you can do, being released from that, uh, that, that angst that we have about wanting to be perfect, it, it was very helpful. Oh, well, this is, a, I may have to send you a check for a therapy session. I, <laughs> I, I greatly appreciate this. Um, you, so you, you mentioned your book a couple of times and I can see behind you your book and there's another poster back there. I'm going to hit towards a little later. Um, turnaround. What is the turnaround and why did you write it? 
So Turnaround is a book that I was asked to write by my, um, by my publisher. I was down the path of writing a book on leadership and character, which I think is also timely right now. Um, and I will still write it. But the publisher pointed out, he said, you've done turnarounds in business, government, philanthropy. Very few people have done that. And if there is a way as we're coming out of the pandemic that you can give people hope, but also the tools that they need in order to make the decisions and turn their organizations around, that is going to be most useful. And so what the book focuses on is my four-step process, which is visualize the future, break down the past, build a path from the past to the future, and then execute with speed, confidence, agility, and heart. And I'm going to focus on that last piece. I think what has made this book popular is that it's not just your typical business book. I use storytelling to share with people that some of the crazy things that I've been through. So they recognize that we all go through these difficulties that don't really show up on our resumes. But secondarily, the desire to do the right thing and fix it and build a team and recognizing that you are working with people and that you have to motivate people. As we talked about earlier, your decisions, very hard decisions will impact people, but having empathy, recognizing that you can be helpful to them, perhaps that they no longer fit within your organization uh, and you can help guide them down a future path that heart is really a missing piece of a lot of our conversations. And we talk about empathy, but we don't really describe what that means, what actions you can take. And so what I hope the book has done is it's provided people with, uh, again, business experience, a path forward, but also I've been told by many people that they've used it for their own personal lives. They've used it to organize their lives during this chaotic time uh, because we all need to rank and rate what's in our life. We need to make decisions about what we're doing and we can't do it all. As I told a group of women recently, if you don't wash the towels this week, it's okay. It's okay. Why is that a priority? Yes, I mean, it's cleanliness and I get that, but honestly, if they're not washed for you know a few more days, it's okay giving people permission to prioritize permission, not to do certain things. That's a big part of the book. I want to, I want to definitely want to get back into that permission and prioritization. I have a question on that. I'd love to ask you. Um, but really quickly in your book, you talk about how you get energized with, with these complex challenges and whatnot. Um, and, but what about those people who, who are, who need to, to make the decisions that you're talking about, people who have to lead those change efforts and turnaround efforts who aren't like you, who aren't energized, it, it, can they do it or do they just need to find another gig? You can do it. And the question is, how long do you stay with it? The end of the book is called End on a High Note. And one of the things that I highlight is that you come into a turnaround for a variety of reasons. One, you're people like Alex and I, and you love doing it and you get energized by it. And it's the thing that makes your life what it is. But there are many people who have stumbled into it or they're in the middle of it right now. They might be in government. They might have a small business. They might have a big business. Um, they didn't really want this. And so what the book does is it gives you the path forward, but then it also allows you to go through a period of 
assessment to determine when is the best time for you to depart from that? At what point mm-hmm. have you left the organization in such a good state yeah. that you can hand it off to the next person? And how do you need to hand it off in order for all that hard work that you did to be worth it? As I tell people, you put your blood, sweat, tears, energy into this. Um, and so you want it to work. I have one uh, item that I talk about in the book, which is a school that I helped start in Arizona on behalf of Intel Corporation and group of partners. It's a charter school. I check on that school every year. It's now been 25, 30 years. And I go back and I see how that school's doing and what the rankings are. And I'm just so proud that the way I handed it over, I was exhausted after the initial setup. Nobody, this, this is very common practice now, but what I did back in the early 90s, no one had ever done it before. In fact, we were included in a lot of major magazines like Time Magazine and Newsweek and books were written about what we did. <laughs> you know, So now there's a process and people are sort of following the process that we established at Intel, but back then nobody had. And so it was kind of exhausting to talk people into doing things the way that we needed to do it. I had to turn it over. I wasn't the right person. I didn't have the energy level to be the person who managed that next phase. And so as you read through the last chapter, I hope what it also does is it gives you your exit plan uh, because that does weigh on us. We're good people. We want to do good things. We want to have something that we've put our heart and soul into to be successful. We want to protect our people. And so, again, having sort of a set of of questions you can ask yourself, tactics that you can use. um, And and again, it's about permission. When do you have permission to, to, to go, done? finished, ready to hand it over. Thank you for tuning in to The Alex Tremble Show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year-round. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEPA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fegley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEPA Group Term Life Insurance and see how much you could save by visiting waepa.org today. The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com courses networking to learn more about his networking model today. Use the discount code podcastfamily on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com courses networking. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. I, I, I love that. I, I love it. I love it. The, the permission component. I love the, 
the forethought, you know, thinking about, you know, actually, what do I enjoy doing? Am I that one who loves change? Am I not the one who who likes to keep the ship moving forward? If I love the change and being okay with stepping away once I've done that, what are my skills? I I love everything you're talking about right now. And I want everyone to know, I mean, I think you kind of understated your book. It is a best-selling book and there's a bestseller for a reason because it has all these great, these great stories. And and, I mean, just the stories when you first start off the book, we're just really amazing about, again, you working within corporations on, on campaigns and nonprofits, like those, those are really, and they were, I'm going to say really quickly, you did a really good job of imagery too. Like I could see those situations happening. I was like, I was becoming a little anxious. So thank you. <laughs> well, I think everybody, the, the most favorite piece of the book, I think is the fact that when I was a, a U.S. ambassador, that I actually took my oath of office at Kinko's. And, uh, and I had to get into Japan and I was last minute hire and we were on a timeline for the job that I was doing. And so I am literally calling around to say who has a notary because I asked the people at state, I go, what do I need to do? They go, you need a notary to take your oath of office. For some reason, I can't remember why nobody could do it at state that day. And I had to get to Japan within 24 hours. And so I found out that they have notaries at Kinko's. And so I go into Kinko's and I have my oath of office. You know, I do so solemnly swear to uphold and defend (laughs) the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So help me God. And I asked the lady, I go, are you the notary? And I said, okay, I have to take an oath of office. And she she asked questions and she runs in her office and she grabs this little pin holder that's got a bunch of little tiny plastic American flags in it. And she puts it out there. And all of a sudden, everybody who's like, you know, making copies and buying paper clips, they all walk up and everybody wants to know what's going on. And I literally, as a U.S. ambassador, took my oath of office at a Kinko's and people were clapping. <laughs> and so, you know, you have to you have to enjoy the moment. It's a little crazy, but I'm glad you mentioned the imagery because you do want people to be able to visualize what's going on. You want them to be able to see it, to fill it, because that allows them to recognize what I'm talking about applies to every situation that they're in. <laughs> <laughs> you're that's, that's an awesome story <laughs> <laughs> it's different i don't know any other ambassador that's done that <laughs> haven't met one yet most of them go to the u.s capitol or the supreme court mm-hmm. or some lovely place at the state department no not me <laughs> so I, i'm gonna have to beat you so one day when i have that opportunity i'm gonna say whoa 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 not in supreme court let's head over to mcdonald's that's right. bring- <laughs> <laughs> i'm the notary <laughs> well you know, um, so you mentioned uh, prioritization and it, you made me think of, again, you are a very business, busy woman with a lot of things on your plate, which means that you have to prioritize and you have to prioritize also the relationships you make. Um, as an ambassador, as a uh, leader of these, you know, CEO of Fair, which we're going to talk about in a, in a minute, um, how do you go about prioritizing your relationships. Now, some people don't like me to say that because, oh, everyone's important. Well, yes, everyone is quote unquote important, but I can promise you, I prioritize my wife over a lot of people because that's a very important relationship. And so how do you go about prioritizing the time and energy you put into relationships? And I'll follow up with that is if someone wanted to become higher in your priority list, what would they need to be doing to to make themselves higher in priority? Again, it's more of a general, general question. You know, I will be very honest. I am drawn to people and my closest friends are people who are just like me. 
And what I mean by that is that they are they have low requirements for friendship at the same time providing the highest level of partnership and relationship. And what I mean by that is they're not demanding. Mm -hmm. I don't do well with people who demand a lot of my time that suck up my time for every single moment of drama. That's just not, <laughs> not what I am. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so the women and men in my life and the people I've had many people join me in these stories that are in my book, people I recognize at the back of the book, some of them have been with me on three separate occasions, four separate occasions. Even currently at fair, I have someone who worked for me 27 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so the relationships I have are with people who don't get insulted if they don't hear from you in a while, because they know that your friendship is for a lifetime. It's not just for a moment. Uh, having said that, the reason why that's important is because I do believe in shuttle diplomacy. When I walk into a situation, I normally discover that people are not getting along very well. Why, why would they be? Because we're in the middle of a turnaround. And, and the number one thing you have to do is use process and systems and speak with facts to reduce the temperature in the room because that gets the emotion out of the conversation. But more importantly, you need to work the process before you walk into the room. And what that requires is shuttle diplomacy. And one reason I get so exhausted in a turnaround is that I will fly, drive, walk, bike. I don't care what form, train, airs, planes, trains, and automobiles. I will do what is ever required to get myself to that person who is having a problem or has a concern and sit down with them in their location. I'm not asking them to come to me. I go to them. I sit down with them where they're comfortable. And what I try to do is look at the world through their point of view. How are they viewing this particular issue that we're dealing with? What do they want to accomplish? How can I reframe my success within terminology that helps them realize their worldview? But it requires showing up. It gets back to what kinds of personal friends I have. That level of shuttle diplomacy does not give you a lot of time to do things that our day-to-day -day things. It just yeah. doesn't. But the close friends I have are people who operate in the same way. And so you have to find people like yourself and you have to be satisfied and pretty much know yourself. And, um, and again, treasure the relationships that you have uh, and encourage other people along the way. We may not talk all the time, but we encourage each other. We're always available for each other. If you need a letter of recommendation, I've written so many letters of recommendation. I've made so many phone calls. I've helped so many people find jobs, um, but I do it in a way that I have to do what's core to making the business situation work out, which means showing up on somebody else's doorstep. You, you know, Again, you and I, I feel like are, are, are kindred spirits. And, and I also believe in like, I don't, I don't need to be around all my friends or my family to know that I love them. Mm -hmm. um, and actually it's funny because my wife and I just finished this, um, the book, The Five Love Languages. And we were kind of having, we've been together about 14, 15 years. We were kind of bumping into each other recently. And it came to light that she really values that time. 
Um, whereas I'm like, eh, time's not important. I really love you. It's okay. And it's like I said, so understanding, you know, who you are, not feeling guilty about it. Now, again, because of my wife is important, I'm going to give her more time. Um, but you know, again, I'm, I'm so blessed because of my friends also, they're okay with me not calling them. Um, because if they need anything, they know they can get to me in the same way. back. So I, I really appreciate that, you know, again, just knowing yourself and, and being okay with that. Um, could, could I ask you, uh, so <laughs> I'm way, I was going to keep this question for when I interviewed, um, uh, Condoleezza Rice. I'm reading her book right now. I'm going to try to find her. If you can get me connected, love it. Um, so in her, in her book, she talks about how in her role, she had to have relationships with people that she did not like at times. She just didn't like, didn't respect, but the job required it. Um, yeah. I assume that to some that some point, some level, you've had to do the same. How do you do that? How do you how do you have those relationships with someone you don't necessarily trust or respect, but you know you need to have a at least a cordial relationship for the job? So um, when I worked for Ronald Reagan at the White House, you know, he had what was called the 80-20 rule, which is if you agree with somebody 80% of the time, you could do business and you could put aside the 20%. And, and really starting in 2009, I adapted that to the 60-40 rule uh, because I believe that was really the time period where we saw such great separation in the country. We really saw a huge division and very strongly um, positioned political differences. And I, I've worked um, in Republican and Democratic administrations and had to be bipartisan and, in fact, have, have created that as a key attribute of, of my professional career. And so what I tell people is, if you can agree on 60%, be very forthcoming and transparent and flat out acknowledge what you do not agree on. If you were sitting by a whiteboard, write down the things you don't agree on and say, we don't agree on these things, but we do agree on this 60%. And 60%, if you can identify a few steps, you do not have to save the world. You are taking one bite at a time. Three steps you can take to fulfill or actualize the area where you agree, then you can get a lot done. And so I had a situation, I think really one of the most... um, interesting scenarios I walked into, which it was looking back on it, it's been, I can explain where it's gone, is when I walked in 2009, I was recruited by the food and beverage CEO, 16 of them, and Nui was chairman of my board, uh, to build out the largest self-regulatory initiative uh, because we had had a rise in obesity. And so regulators and the public health officials were pointing to the food and beverage companies and saying, well, it's their fault. They make the food and they're marketing sugar and fat. And they, those two groups had not gone along. In fact, they were, they were highly opposed to one another. And uh, the companies were looking down at possibly huge taxes as well as regulation. And the public health officials were really angry looking at the numbers and the impact on children. And so I had to bring these disparate groups together. And as I tell people, I have never consumed so much migraine medicine in my entire life as I did the first 12 months of that job. But I kept sticking with the process that if we could agree on 60%, and if we could use process facts and numbers to identify some quantitative objectives with an agreement that we recognize we may achieve those objectives in different ways, then we could accomplish a lot. And The end result of that is that we had uh, the companies committed 
uh, to reducing 1.5 trillion calories from the marketplace, basically removing sugar and fat from the food supply sold in America. And we had done that commitment with Michelle Obama and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation was doing the independent outside evaluation. Later, we would discover that we uh, reduced 6.4 trillion calories over a five-year period, which basically reformulated every single product sold by those 16 companies except one, which is a massive amount of food. And, it, and we were able to show impact on certain socioeconomic groups. We had an event at the National Press Club uh, back uh, right before the, the end of, of tying everything up, having done this. It was about, I think, uh, uh, like January 2016, maybe. And the group of people that we had on that stage talked about the fact that this was one of the best things they'd ever gone through. These are the same people that in 2009 could barely stand being in a room together. And they talked about the friendships that they had formed and they talked about the relationship and they were all so proud of what we had done as a group. That group of people were proud of exactly the same accomplishments and they each had their own take on why they were proud of it. And today, that same group of people, I just came from a Milken conference, a global health conference that the Milken Institute puts together, where we talked about food as medicine. And I was with one of those individuals in Northern California who had actually written a fairly, fairly uh, uh, pointed uh, denial of of our effort and said how bad it was. That individual I wasn't too fond of back in 2015. Mm -hmm. And now we're working together on food as medicine because we all came together around the 60% we agreed on. And I met his mom and we had a great time. (laughs) And uh, and in fact, it was was one of these events where they were doing an event in his honor. And I... um, I had a conflict, but I told my husband, I'm like, this is so important. We showed up for 20 minutes. We made sure that everybody knew we were there supporting this individual. And this is an individual that we didn't get along very well in 2015. So I've never seen us. I've, I have still to this day, probably only had one person I wasn't able to do that with, but that's saying a lot because I'm 58 years old and I've been doing this (laughs) since I was 19. Uh, So I will say that overarchingly, I find that I have grown my table bigger, that I have a larger group of compatriots uh, that, that when I first met them, maybe, maybe we didn't like each other so much, but we grew together because of a common goal. You know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that example. I, I, if you would mind, I'm going to put a little more context on it for the audience. Um, everything has a constituency. Everything. Yeah. And every program, every process has a because someone is benefiting from it. Uh, I remember my old sociology teacher back in college said, oh, crime will never end. Why will it never end? Because it's a huge industry. People have jobs, so you don't really want it to end. Um, and so the same thing with um, with, with sugar. There's a sugar and there's a sugar lobby. There's a, like, it's all these different people who who have a interest in whatever it is, maintaining the status quo. So bringing all those parties together to come up with a deal and and make progress is huge. Um, and I think I, I want to make you can push back on this if, you, if this is what you feel. And you talk about 60-40, what you're talking about is making progress. You're not saying that everything is solved, but at least you're moving the, the, the needle forward, making progress. So like maybe another day we can push it a little further. Is that, is that what you're hearing? Is that what I'm hearing? 
Absolutely. And get to know them as people. One reason they were all on stage talking is that we had made arrangements for dinners and we used our dinners to just get to know each other. I purposely yeah. would always at an event go and sit with a group of people that didn't like me very much or that I didn't know. <laughs> and I'd ask them about their kids. And one of my, uh, one of the public health officials that I've had a little difficulty with when we first started, uh, we started talking about our children and my daughter has dyslexia and so did her son. And all of a sudden she's fed me a book about how to look at colleges that had shown a positive trend towards helping students with dyslexia because we were in the process of looking at colleges. That's a human component. And that's the thing is there is business, there is politics, but there's also the human part. And I think one thing that's happened in Washington, because again, I'm old enough to remember, is that when I um, first started uh, interning was at UVA, so many of the congressional figures lived in the DC area with their kids mm -hmm. and their kids played ball together and their kids went to school together and their kids went to summer camp together. And so you had Democrats and Republicans that might disagree on policy, but their children were friends. They did slumber parties together. And I think one of the, um, one of the biggest issues we have today is nobody brings their family to Washington anymore. Their yeah. wives aren't doing lunches together, their wives aren't working together, their kids aren't playing together. And so that's really sad. And as a result, you need to work a little bit harder to get to know the people. I keep a notes section in my Outlook. And if I meet someone, I immediately write down what age their kids are, what's special about their children, yeah. what their key interests are, so that when I see them again, we don't start the conversation with, well, where are we on chapter number nine, point number three, <laughs> amendment 75? I'm like, how's your kids? How's, how's John doing? How did that program work for him? Oh my God, he got a great internship. I'm so excited. How can I help him find his next one? You got to be human. You know, I heard, um, I think it was on C-SPAN possibly an interview with Senator Cory Booker, and he was talking about a time where he was pushing a bill. Um, he, for those who are listening, um, he's a Democrat. Um, and he was pushing a bill that was getting a lot of conservative pushback. And he ended up meeting with one of the conservatives, I can't remember who, and they just had a conversation about their kids and found out that both their kids were going through something very similar. And that built the, the foundation of a relationship that ultimately that conservative stepped up was like, no, 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 we need to support this bill. This is the reasons why. Um, yeah. you're, you're, so, you're so right about the, the personal connection, those relationships needed. But I feel like, I feel like maybe nowadays people don't, necessarily value it. And if you do spend that time, people say, oh, you're wasting money or you're wasting time. But that's important. Getting these people together, getting leaders together to talk and just build relationships. I feel like it's really important. It is important. And we're just not doing enough of it right now. We really aren't. And it is sad. It just is sad. I, you know, I support a lot of women and I, you know, I, I worked for Ronald Reagan. So obviously, um, you know, you assume I'm a Republican. I have helped more Democrats during transitions figure out what jobs they were going to get because I was in presidential personnel under Reagan. Yeah. So I kind of got the plum book memorized. That's that book that lists all the presidential <laughs> and political appointments. And so when there's a Democratic administration, I want my friends to get the jobs. Why wouldn't I? I love them. They're my friends yeah, and they're yeah. good people. And so I have mentored a lot of 
people on it. Okay, these are, you know, these are the best uh, jobs to go after. Just so you know, this is this job. This job requires you travel all the time. So if you got a small child, you don't want to do that one. But hey, did you know there was this other job over here that has these attributes would allow you to work in the same policy circle, but you don't have to be on the road all the time. Why wouldn't you want people that you personally like to be the ones in power? I don't get it. Like, it just seems short-sighted to me. So there's winners and losers. We're, we're always going to have one party in power and one not in power. I kind of want the people I like to have those jobs, to be the people making the decisions, because I also trust them. I trust them at a fundamental level that I may not agree with their political direction, but I trust the way in which they are going to operate and that they are good people. And that's what you've got to get back to is recognizing that they're good people. Look, I, we're running, we're starting to run against our times. So I, I know you have to, you probably have to go jump on a plane and go somewhere and save, save the world. Um, really quick question. I'm going to open the floor to you, but would you just really quickly just Sarah, what, what is that you do at FAIR and what is FAIR? <laughs> we didn't get to talk about that at all. So FAIR is the largest food allergy non-governmental organization in the world funding research around life-threatening food allergies. These are, uh, there are nine allergens. They're proteins that basically trigger an allergic reaction. Someone goes into anaphylaxis and they need to administer epinephrine and run off to the hospital. So it is a life-threatening disease. And we have 50 uh, clinical networks at major medical institutions around the United States, as well as affiliates around the globe, uh, teams of people that are working on diagnostics, on therapies uh, for a disease which actually is impacting now one in four Americans. There are one in four Americans who are avoiding eating the same top nine proteins because of food allergies, food intolerances, or because they live with people who do. So it's a, it's a big topic, a wonderful group of people, and I'm just so proud of the work that we've done. And I appreciate the work that you've done. I have an EpiPen myself and get it. more people than, you know, are, are, are dealing and living with these challenges. Everyone. So thank you for the work you do. I want, again, I want to open the floor to you. Is there anything you'd like to share with the, the audience? Well, one of the messages that sort of my message of 2021 is about the mantle of leadership. And what I've been reminding people is we live in the greatest democracy in the world. And people forget as they're getting more and more anxious, more and more concerned, that the reality is you have the ability to pick up the mantle of leadership. And leadership means different things to different people, but you have the ability to have an impact. It's making a decision. It doesn't have to be life-changing. You don't have to go run for mayor, but there are things you can do in your community. Uh, read my book, look at the little things you can do because each of us picking up that mantle, each of us recognizing that we have, I've spent a lot of time in communist countries. We have a lot of freedom. We have flexibility that that other people don't have. And so if you want to see change, you might have to be part of it. If you want to see change, you might have to be part of it. Ain't that something? You know, thank you so much for your time with me today. Um, I apologize if you hear anything in the background. Um, I, there are some, uh, some sirens going on, I, I believe, because it, it, this, this interview was so hot that, that someone called the fire department. Um, <laughs> as I leave all of our sessions, don't just look back, reach back. You know what I'm going to say. 
If you found any value in what we shared today and what what Lisa spoke about, don't keep it to yourself. Don't just say that person over there should have been here. They should have been listening. No, 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 no. Don't do that. You're not going to be that person. You're going to go walk to them and you're going to say, hey, look, listen to this. This is something you need to listen to because I personally got value out of it and I know you will as well. So thank you all. Thank you, Lisa. As always, like tell everyone, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.